Hello and welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel, and today I'm speaking with Ignacio M. Garcia about his new memoir, Chicano While Mormon, Activism, War, and Keeping the Faith, published by Fairleigh Dickinson Press in 2015. Dr. Garcia is the Lemuel Hardison Red Junior Professor of Western and Latino History at Brigham University in Provo, Utah, where he teaches courses on U.S. history, Latino history, Latin American history, and historical methodology. Dr. Garcia is also the author of several influential books on Mexican-American politics and civil rights, including White But Not Equal, Mexican-Americans, Jury Discrimination, and the Supreme Court. Also, Viva Kennedy, Mexican-Americans in the Search of Camelot, and Chicanismo, the Forging of a Militant Ethos among Mexican-Americans, and also United We Win the rise and fall of La Raza Unida Party. Dr. Garcia has also published a biography of the very influential Mexican-American civil rights reformer, Hector P. Garcia, and he has also most recently produced a local sports slash uh, historical community study of San Antonio entitled When Mexicans Could Play Ball, Basketball, Race, and Identity in San Antonio, 1920 to 1945. Uh, Ignacio, welcome to uh, New Books in Latino Studies. Well, thank you very much, David. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, yes. And I was wondering if you could begin our discussion. You know, we're, this book is about you. It's a memoir. Uh, but if you could kind of give us just a, you know, glimpse into who you are and a little bit about your background to get us towards that discussion. I wonder if you could start us off in that way. Sure. I was uh, born in Nuevo Laredo, Tamaulipas, and my parents uh, came uh, to the States uh, in the early 50s when I was uh, a young child. They were sort of the wave that came after the deportations of, of Operation Wetback. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. I went to uh, City Lanier High School, then went into the military, uh, came out, uh, went to a small university uh, in Texas, Texas A&I University, which is now Texas A&M University. Mm-hmm. That's followed up by one of the big fish in Texas. And then uh, I studied uh, journalism, was a journalist for a number of years. I covered the Central American and Civil Wars, went to Lebanon during the, uh, the Civil War there, um, and a number of other things. And then one day I decided to uh, that I really wanted to be an academician, that I wanted to go into history, went back to my uh, Ph.D. At, at the University of Arizona, taught for three years at uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and then was hired here at the Brigham Young University. And been here uh, oh, 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, and so I um, grew up, uh, you know, very much uh, Mexican-American. Uh, then I became a Chicano in college and remained so since then, and so um, that's, that's sort of a quick summary of my mm-hmm. life. Thank uh, well, you. The, the other part, the other big part, of course, which is part of the novel, uh, of the uh, memoirs, of course, are on LDS or Mormon, right. and have been uh, since then. Because my mother got converted when she was 15 and baptized in Un Rio, in the, in the river in Monterrey, Mexico. And so I myself found sort of religion when I was about 15 years old. Right. And have been, have been LDS since then. Great. And and that gets me right to where I wanted to start our discussion and, and what is really at the... Um, you know the the center kind of uh, what is it? It's 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 not a uh, attention, but it's a, it's a seeming par- a seeming paradox, and that is the the two identities or two. I mean, you all of us inhabit 
you know, very a number of identities, right? But um, the two of them discussed in this book primarily are that of being a Chicano and a Mormon. And those are two identities that are seemingly incongruent and conflicting, I think, to the public at large, you know, those both either within or outside of the, the, the Mormon church or those within and outside of academe. And uh, I wonder if you could comment just initially, uh, why do you think that is? Why is it, uh, why does, you know, saying one is a Chicano Mormon, why does it strike people as odd? Well, I think for one is that one looks at, at Chicanismo as, as a, a militant base among our Latino or Mexican-American experience. And so, and then you, uh, most people recognize that the Mormon church uh, has been uh, perceived as a very conservative and has been a conservative uh, institution. And it is, you know, Americans, uh, America's religion. It is a founded uh, right. country. And so there's a sense that uh, Mormonism represents a lot of things that uh, we Chicanos may have been battling against. And, and so I think there is that. And, and I, I confronted it in my early years before. I, it was interesting. I confronted this sort of uh, shock and, and the, the sort of critique when I was in the Chicano movement who, who thought that a Mormon couldn't be a good Chicano. So I had to prove that I was a good Chicano uh, activist um, and then scholar. And then I had to uh, deal when I sort of came into the Mormon world, especially in the academy, was that could I be a, a, a real solid Mormon if I had all these ideas and if I was a Chicano? And so in, in, in an interesting sense, I have had to prove myself to both communities that are dear to me, mm-hmm. but they made me who I am and in that sense of struggling me. Uh, and and uh, people, religious people, I think, understand how much life is a struggle and that you don't always fit and, and the more different you are. And so I think that was that, you know, that, that you look at these two communities and say, oh, they can't be, um, you know, somebody can't be both. But I think uh, uh, who did a, the a sort of a, an intro to my book, Mm-hmm. lays out in, in, in very wonderful detail and discussion how, uh, you know, how that happens and what it has made me. And then, of course, the rest of the memoir deals in part with that change. Right. No, and I agree. I think, um, you know, Bagan writes a, a just a, a wonderful, um, you know, forward to the book that provides a glimpse into that tension. And then, uh, you know, we're able to see how that works out throughout the book. And, um, you know, if it seems to me, you know, reading through the book, that there are, you know, three primary sites where the the development of your Chicano and and Mormon or Chicano Mormon identity um, kind of occurs. I mean, you've you've been in more than three places, of course, but it seems that you know the barrio that you were raised in, which is on the west side of San Antonio, uh, your experience in the army and particularly Vietnam, your time in Vietnam is that so is that second space. So the barrio is the first space. Vietnam's the second space, perhaps, and then Kingsville is kind of where the the story ends. At least this part of your life is that that third space, and so I was hoping to structure our conversation kind of on those three places. And in beginning in the barrio, uh, I was wondering if you could speak a bit about the influence of your parents, um, you know, helping you to uh, you know develop a, a sense of your Mexicanness uh, or your Mexican American identity uh, during your childhood, which is c- pretty much covered in the in the first couple chapters? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because, of course, my parents are, are immigrants. Uh, they never uh, mastered the English language. My father works in a restaurant. 
for another Mexican. Uh, and so, and he's a waiter for 50 years. And my father had been an activist in Mexico, but he was one of those sort of populist activists that he, w- he would tell me uh, whenever he would share. He, he didn't want me to become a radical, so he didn't always share a lot, but when he did, he would say that when he got paid, he'd go out there and give the... Uh, un peso to the um, you know to the right wing party and then he'd go and give to each party until it got to the uh, to the communist party uh, simply because he wanted to be right with whoever was elected mm-hmm. and uh, and he was out there you know for candidates and whatever in many ways my father was a populist and there were a lot of progressive things but he was also uh, uh, a, a man who uh, who wanted us to succeed in life and so mm-hmm. he was always uh, when, once he crossed the border, he left his in Mexico mm-hmm. and never became involved in the politics. But his activist blood, you know, and he used to, he mostly told us about it in, in a joking manner, so we would all be laughing about the, the crazy things he did as a as a political activist. But so I, I felt like that blood of activism reigning in, in, my, in, my, in, my, in my thing. And when I would one day tell him that, and he would just get so upset about it, and my mother was a sort of staunch nationalist, uh, uh, Mexicana, and while neither one of them was anti-American or anti-gringo, they were very, uh, they were uh, very strong in their sense of who they were. Mm-hmm. And so my father was about succeeding and being proud of that which was Mexicano. Uh, my mother was a, a real staunch nationalist, and everything in Mexico and uh, in Espanol was better, uh, without criticizing the other. Uh, and so in, in many ways, uh, my mother would, would sort of drag us when we were young, you know, young kids to these, uh, in, uh, uh this late celebrations, mm-hmm. uh, where my father would walk with us and point all the exiles from Mexico who had, you know, established a business and a farmacia, a restaurant or whatever. So we were always very conscious, even though we were constantly uh, told to avoid conflict, which is exactly what I would end up doing as a young activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to a high school that was uh, you know, almost 100% Mexicano, and, uh, and so this, this world that I developed was both immigrant, but it was also uh, very Mexican-American. Mm-hmm. And so my, my mother was, was the one who was Mormon, and she would take us to church, and I have a whole section on of how much I didn't want to go to church and how, right. um, you know, I was unreligious, though very spiritual in many ways, and uh, her tenacity, which I, which I think a lot of religious parents uh, can relate to, you know, taking your kids uh, to church when they would rather be doing something else, uh, but then finding that later they would appreciate that, that sort of moral compass they got in their own you know, denomination or through a spiritual life. And so, uh, and my father was not Mormon, but he was always very proud of his uh, children. He was, uh, uh, he was a Rosicrucian, uh, and, and so he, uh, spirituality was also very important uh, for him. And they were both very much service-oriented. Uh, and uh, what I didn't always realize that early on, it was when uh, they were both uh, later on in their years and, and my father died, and I, I, I saw this incredible number of people talk about his service, and my mother, uh, when we took her from San Antonio to go live with my brother in Tucson, 
I also found out so many people talked about all these little things of service and all the things when my parents had been there uh, to help them, to defend them, whatever. And so I think they were very important, uh, though I didn't always appreciate it when I was growing up, as, as most young people. Right. They don't appreciate, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of tension. And early on, you know, I, like many others, I was conscious of being Mexicano, but I also wanted the American reality. Right, um, right. And so that, uh, but I think they, they kept me grounded in many ways to who I was. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, that your your father, I believe, you, you credit him, uh, well, uh, somewhat apolitical after he, he immigrated, right, that he was not really instilled within you the... Uh, like the love of Mexican culture through, you know, Mexican cinema and television, um, you know, writing, uh, things of that sort. Is that, is that right? Oh, yes. My father, my father uh, wanted to, to, to be able to do all those things. But as a waiter, uh, never being able to afford it, uh, had a second grade education in Mexico. Uh, nonetheless, he, he, he loved the idea of accomplishment and, and, and uh, I think sometimes he vacillated from being a populist to being a a a, a, a bourgeois in thinking. But in that tension, uh, we were exposed to you know political magazines. I used to read El Siempre, which was a big or Siempre was a big political uh, magazine in Mexico. At first, I would look at the back because there were some pictures of some very beautiful. Uh, women, mm-hmm. uh, young ladies, and uh, none of the cheesecake variety. But there was a, and, and then eventually I started reading. And while I could not always understand, because my Spanish, as, as good as it got, was you know, at that time not very good. But I just loved the whole idea of writing about politics and, mm-hmm. and struggle and, and philosophy. And, and so I always remember that being a big part of my growing up. Neat, and, yes. And... Um... And you know, staying in staying in the barrio, you know, and moving so moving maybe a, a bit. We have the you know your, the influence of your your parents, uh, but you also state that, uh, and I think this is in the forward and in, in it's of the book, and it's reiterated throughout that uh, your core values were were learned in that small uh, Mormon church on the west side of of San Antonio, and you you refer to the type of religious environment and re- it's both religious and cultural environment that you were raised in there, in the San Antonio barrio as a, as barrio uh, Mormonism. Can you uh, discuss that? Mm-hmm. What, what you mean by that, and what that what those well, experiences entailed? Sure. It, it, in in a way, uh, you know, the, the, the little ward we call them wards, branches, uh, congregations that I went to was right deep in the in the west side of, uh, of of San Antonio, and so people there. Had, had been converted to, to the Mormon gospel, but there was so so little influence from the outside. What we had was was a few of the texts and a few of the teachings that had been taught, and so so much of what uh, the leaders of that small uh, church uh, did was they they sort of navigated the challenges that confronted us as people in the barrio, uh, poverty. Uh, discrimination, although we didn't talk about it mm-hmm. in that sense, uh, and, and, and identity. And so in, in many ways, what, what really impressed me initially was how these people made it work. They, they created an environment in which we felt uh, secure, in which we, uh, uh, we were able to feel secure about our, our, our own identity. And it was interesting because there was this constant start between 
the American influence and, and the immigrant influence, and I saw people, uh, you know, sort of deal with it. They also taught me the kind of religion that is sort of religion on the ground. Uh, what Cherry Moraga used to say, the the uh, she she called it the scholarship uh, on the street. That is that that I learned that uh, religious principles were to be applicable to our daily lives in terms of, of dealing with other people, in terms of being charitable, being right. serviceable. We we were not into a lot of you know uh, in depth doctrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know it. We didn't have the books. We didn't get our manuals on time. And so, so much of that was people taking a few core values uh, uh, that were contextualized on, uh, within living in a barrio environment and making it work. And I, and I think that that's where I learned to be compassionate, to be charitable, to be proud of, because the pride of who we were came in the fact that God had made us this way. Mm-hmm. So if God had made us who we were, Mexicanos, Latinos, whatever, uh, then there must have been a value. And if there is some value in it, then we have to do something with it. And mm-hmm. so I think uh, that, um, and, and I think the ability to survive San Antonio uh, and the west side of San Antonio and the problems inherent uh, in in you know, what was a barrio that was poor in many ways. And, and so I think uh, that barrio of Mormonism is a barrio... I, I learned a theology of, of action, mm-hmm. of, of work. That would serve me well, when I myself would one day uh, sort of lead a congregation. Right. And, and um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, too, that... Uh, you know, your mother was baptized. So your mother was baptized when, I think you said she was 14 or 15, is that right? Right, correct, about 14. Right. And then, so, uh, but you, uh, so, so you're ra- she raised you going to church, um, somewhat, I think you said a little bit uh, against your will at times. You said you're very spiritual, but didn't always want to, <laughs> you know, walk the three miles to church and, and back. Um, but right. in your teenage years is when you became much more active involved. And it was actually in, I think you said when you're 15, uh, that's when you were baptized. Your father uh, allowed you to, to be baptized at that point. He felt it was, uh, it was a choice of yours. So uh, is it seems that it was in your teenage years that perhaps you began to identify more as Mormon. Is that correct? And and if so, what are what were those experiences and relationships that started to really solidify in you a sense that you were you know you were Mormon? You know you were attaining this identity yourself and religious practice. It wasn't just you know the faith of your mother anymore. Well, what, what happens is that somewhere along the line, when when my mother gets us to the waters of baptism, she herself had been struggling. My father, at, 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 at sometimes, did not want us to be Mormon. He was proud of what we would end up doing, but he he struggled with with because Mormonism has always been a religion that demands so much, and so there was right. mm-hmm. this tension between you know were we committed to the family or Mormonism, and so. When, when we got to the waters of baptism, my, my mom took a hiatus, she took a vacation, and, and so she stopped going to church, <laughs> and my mm-hmm. oldest brother and mission. So I was placed almost uh, shortly after I, I sort of became converted, not only baptized, but you know, all of us in, in religious uh, entities have to become personally converted. Once I, I sort of said, okay, this is, I like this, then my, my mother stopped going, and so... If I was going to go to church, I had to get up and do it, 
And so then, being there, I began to find mentors and people who understood, because there were a lot of split families there. There was a lot of families in which we were only part of the family was, was Mormon. And so we sort of became closer to each other. And so we, I found some of some mentors, men and women, uh, who took, um, took me under their wing. Uh, and then I just started participating in everything. I became one of these joiners and began to develop my own uh, spiritual experiences, began to uh, uh, look at the way people acted, what they did, and came to admire role models. And, and many of my role models were very uh, working-class individuals who, who gave a lot to be able to remain uh, active Mormons. And so I, I think I, I was one of those young people that got in, got this sort of fervor of religiosity, and I was, as I talk in my memoir, I was in, into everything, uh, and I was at church almost every night. Right. Interesting, however, that at the same time, uh, going to high school, where there were rumblings of, of activism, mm-hmm. uh, that again, what helped me was that all of this Mormonism, all of these traits and, and things I was learning, made me a bit more articulate uh, than a lot of kids in the barrio, mm-hmm. uh, made me better organized, uh, gave me less fear of standing before groups or uh, or passing out uh, pamphlets or flyers for the movement or simply engaging in conversations. And so the interesting thing about my Mormonism is it evolved at the same time that I was evolving in terms of the consciousness of who I was, which right. was a, a Mexican-American in a, in a predominantly Mexican-American school where so many of the limitations were very obvious. And so in, in some ways, if somebody said, how could you do that? Both is because they sort of grew together. Right. You know, and, and that, I think, uh, helped me uh, more so that if I go on with one, uh, predominantly one, you know, one view or one part of my life, but I, they sort of grew together. Right. And, um, and those issues uh, that were sort of revolving around us in the west side of San Antonio uh, were issues that I could explain through my religiosity. Mm-hmm. I could explain, uh, at least in my limited mind, uh, racism, discrimination, uh, a sense of identity, the struggle for, for for others. All of those, I was defining both as a as a young high school kid, uh, but also as a religious young man. Mm-hmm. So that coming together, the skills of the church, the commitment. I was the person that said, "I will do this. I will do it." Right. And people began to say, "Yes, he will." And so those skills helped me to get near to some of those who were the student leaders, even though I was not myself a student leader, but I was able to be mentored by them because I was a wonderful guy. I was weird, this weird Mormon kid, but he's dependable, and he's totally committed to this activism. Uh, and so, wow, you know, we've we got to keep them with us. That uh, was the kind of thing which, which served my purpose uh, in, in learning. Mm-hmm. You know, your comments about how the two identities really grew together is uh, really fascinating and interesting uh, to me. Um, you know, reading um, 
you know, my academic career has had me read right a lot on the process of identity formation, and there are different uh, analogies or um, uh, you know that are, that it, scholars use to try to you know explain how identity forms, and a lot of them seem to insist whether it's on this premise of there's like a series of concentric circles uh, or there's some type of, uh, you know, foundation or, you know, building analogy that that one identity, um, and this isn't all scholars, but a number of things that I've found, a number of studies that I've found or, you know, kind of theories uh, push that there's one identity comes to form like your basis and, and, and in some ways that uh, – then other identities are then built on or added to or taken away from. And, and you know, pr- identity, of course, is a process. But generally, as I hear it explained, it, it begins with one thing and then it kind of, you know, grows and, and moves on. And so it fascinates me about what you've, you know, stated here is that these two seemingly, again, disparate identities or conflicting identities really, you know, develop together, you know, both due to, um, you know, your parents, but also the the place, you know, the, the body you grew up in and then those people that you're around you. So, Really, it seems well, that the, the other thing, the other thing, if I may interrupt, uh, David, is that is that I also confronted uh, the struggle uh, within my Mormonism. That is, mm-hmm. you know, we were predominantly Mexican in my church, but we we were connected to the larger church, and so mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. many ways, uh, uh, some of the tensions and also some of the perceptions were based on my own relationship. Uh, to the non-Mexican members, so right. you know that was also bringing that was in a, in a way bringing these two experiences of mine and bringing them into focus by having to deal with uh, Mormonism outside the the, the the Latino or the Mexican uh, uh, church. Mm-hmm. And you know, Mormonism, like I think, like many institutional religions, is viewed as you know inherently and, and strictly patriarchal. However, in your uh, you know, in your memoir, you mentioned that while uh, you know there are a number of, um, as in in church legal, they'd say we'd say you know brethren or priesthood members that you looked up to and, and uh, aspired to be like, there are also quite a bit of you know uh, female and, and sisters in the church that that really uh, were you know uh, very important and central in, in your process of your spiritual growth and your development. Could you talk a little bit about uh, you know just some of those women, some of those people, what they did for you, what they taught you? Okay. Uh, you know, most, uh, uh, you know, Latino or Mexicano or religious people, especially uh, in, in groups that are, that are smaller or smaller among Mexican-Americans, will, will, will probably uh, resonate with this or can understand that uh, women are such a big part of all Latino entities, especially before they become very structured and very rigid and centralized. And in my uh, little church experience was, if the women did not do this, that we would not have a church. I mean, they. I remember the most important scriptorian mm-hmm. in our in our in our congregation was a woman, and I remember that in one time some church sort of male leaders come to her and say, uh, "Sister Zacarias, can you explain this this uh, scripture for us?" And to me, that was a very powerful thing. I also in our youth program, we always had trouble keeping the men uh, to lead. You know. Um, Mexicano men were struggling with their jobs and whatever, mm-hmm. and men are men in church, and and so seeing the the, the sister take sort of over the, the the youth program and make it run, and 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 so I learned to see women as leaders mm-hmm. uh, quite early in my life. I, you know, their faith, their strength. Uh, the, the woman that got me reading, or the first thing that got me reading, was a woman 
uh, who, you know, gave me my first uh, novel. And when it was kind of embarrassing later on, and I talk about that in the, the memoir, it, you know, I got I started become, you know, becoming a reader. And um, what I found out later in doing some research on, on Mormonism, among Latinos, is how women uh, held certain positions of authority that we don't have them today, and how they were so critical, even in the early days uh, of the Church. And I was very much impacted. I also believed, and I always wanted to be this fire and brimstone preacher. Mm-hmm. For a time, I wanted to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. And, and it turns out to be that, that I, I never did. I, I sort of took the, the more um, uh, compassionate, uh, uh, I don't want to use the term nurturing because it has its, its wrong connotations, but, right. but I saw them strong without the fire and brimstone sermons. I saw them as leaders without having to have the title. And to me, again, that, that speaks to my own reality of, of being in service and, and providing uh, leadership without necessarily the title. And I, I, real leaders are those who are natural, who are organic. And, and, and what I saw in, in, in my growing up years was that the, the majority of the organic leaders mm-hmm. uh, were mm-hmm. women. You know? And that has helped me. Now, you know, was I a great feminist, uh, you know, at the time or whatever? No, but I never doubted uh, that they could lead, and I never had a problem with women leading or instructing me or even chastising me because I grew up in an environment in which women counseled me and, with, and women led me, and, and, you know, and I learned from women. So that was a, a wonderful experience, and I think sometimes... Uh, I see that in Latino wards, and uh, and when that happens, uh, these wards run better. And you know, when the men become rigid and and, and, and a situation has to centralize, I think sometimes women lose out in that. In fact, they do lose out in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I had this privilege of growing up with powerful women. And of course, my mother was a powerful woman, and those who read my memoir will realize that my wife. <laughs> a quite powerful woman, and so th- th- I think that was very good for my learning. Right, right, and thank you for thank you for talking about that. I wanted to um, I want to keep the discussion moving as as far as the 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 memoir goes. So I wanted to move to the the next site that is really. I think central in your your development here, and and that's Vietnam. And uh, although you state in the memoir that serving a mission, a Mormon mission, that is, would have been your first choice coming out of high school, uh, that neither your your second preference, which would have been the pursuit of a college education, neither of those worked out immediately after you graduated. Uh, so then, enlisting in the, in the army uh, at the time of you know Vietnam presented a a way out of the barrio and also provided you with your first sustained experience of life beyond both the comfort and confinement of barrio life. So can you discuss uh, a bit about your experiences, um, you know, uh, in Vietnam and and how growing up in the barrio uh, both, uh, you know, helped you, but, at the, but in other ways, so it prepared you in ways, but in other ways uh, you were completely unprepared for it, of course, you, what you experienced beyond its, 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 con- its confines. Well, you know, the, the, the thing about it is that, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to see the world. There was this still part of this idea of, of transcending the barrio. I would come to appreciate, I was accumulating wonderful things about the barrio, 
but I had I would have to come back later, and we can talk about that later. But mm-hmm. the army was a great experience for for a number of reasons. One, it, it did give me that sort of uh, chance to go outside the barrio and eventually outside the United States. It also got me to the point where I was having to defend my two realities, being a Mexican-American, a Chicano, and right. being a Mormon. And that was not the place where either one of them, at least in my situations, was something that was uh, quite popular. So I ended up having to defend myself as who I am, my sense of identity, and also living uh, my moralities uh, when I was very detached from the church. And I remember that... Uh, uh, you know, when I was out, I, I never really attended a, a white Mormon entity, and so I found that uh, the few times that I had I, in my army assignment, I was not near any place where there were Mormon congregations. And the, the first two times that I did, I found it totally awkward, and 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 in a way, I you know it it uh, it forced me to say, "What are your core values?" So so I think. Uh, in terms of saying this doesn't feel as welcoming as it should be. Uh, and, and part of it was my own reaction to it. I'm not trying to blame anybody. It was I just didn't feel the same sense of warmth that I had growing up in my own church. Mm-hmm. So I then had to say, well, am I Mormon or not? And, and so sort of double down on, on my beliefs, on my, uh, on, on, on my tradition as a Mormon. And, uh, but also being challenged in the army of of whether I could maintain the sense of morality that I had developed as a young man. I, you know, my story is not of someone who grows up religious and then leaves. The one is who grows up religious and then fights like hell, if I use that word, uh, to maintain himself uh, within that. Uh, at the same time, I had to learn not to be judgmental right. and to learn that the law was big and that it didn't necessarily function like I did, and that it didn't have to. And I remember the most religious spiritual person I've ever met to this day was a Seventh-day Adventist, a young uh, black uh, soldier who taught me a lot about humility and not judgment, and also was the first one to point out that, uh, you know, Mormons had a tradition of, of you know, that, that some of their traditions, particularly related to African-Americans, were not the best. And it, it was confronted, confronting to say, again, you're being challenged, how do you come to grips with it? And, and Vietnam uh, was a place where, in many ways, I put all of my skills and learning from that Mormon church. I was efficient. I became immediately head of the emergency room and the dispensary where I worked. I organized, I, I, I stayed out of trouble, which that part of my morality helped me. <laughs> right. Because so many soldiers got into trouble with drugs, uh, you know, they get you know, venereal disease for going out to the bars. Mm-hmm. They were inefficient. Uh, Vietnam was in, uh, an incredible place of, of both in, in the positive and the inefficiency. Positive, I mean, as people grew up and took responsibility. So... And it also uh, brought into to my mind the questions of war, war and peace, and also uh, the Vietnamese and how they were treated by the Americans. Mm-hmm. And so I had to sort of look at that, and my own experience helped me to relate to these Vietnamese workers in our compound. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that were testing my own reality, 
uh-huh. of, of being, being woman and Chicano and also expanding because I really had to go beyond the Chicano bubble and beyond the Mormon bubble to be able to adequately apply those things that were dear to me in my life. But now they were an expanded uh, view of old Mormonism and Chicanismo or, or Mexicanismo at the time. Uh, and so, you know, and, and, and I went through the, you know, the first love there, you know, which, which is a growing experience for anybody that remembers their first, uh, you know, first uh, love of their life. And all of these things come into play. And so, um, uh, for me, it, it tested again my Mormonism uh, and my uh, identity as a Chicano. Even though, as I say in my memoir, there were moments when I would say, okay, I'm out of the barrio, I'm not a Chicano, I'm a man of the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and to try to get this, you know, because the world is very inviting in that sense. Mm-hmm. And it's easy, and, and particularly uh, Western thought, where you are not an ethnicity, you're an individual, you're a man. And, but at the same time, even those, those uh, uh, sort of thoughts and ambitions always collided with who I was. And so I would temper, and then I would find ways to expand who I was, but never leave the core values uh, of that. And it taught me to be a leader. Uh, you know, I, I I had to be a leader. Um, and uh, so, so there were a lot of uh, positive things, while at the same time being so much against the war and seeing how much uh, damage and wrong we were doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and uh, uh, it, it it created a, a sort of very uh, conflicted view of American society. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that that was uh, what what both the army and Vietnam uh, did. I mean, you're thrusting this Mormon and, and Chicano kid into a, a war into you know, and and seeing the conflicts of African Americans. I've seen the conflicts of white soldiers uh, pro and against the war. I've seen Vietnamese there. Uh, it, it was it was quite an experience uh, to see that. And, and, and keeping journals, I think, helped me right. because I had to evaluate and constantly think about. I mean, as I read back, they, they sound so naive and right. yeah. ignorant mm-hmm. and misguided at times. But they were important in the process of my own thinking. Right. I think, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I think you can find, people can find a lot of things and they can critique a lot of things about my mental process. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it was part of this, a chance to, to, to leave the barrio, uh, but never the core values of who I was. Right. You know, both of us as a, as a Mexican American Chicano and a, and a woman, and, and you know what? As a religious person, I think it, it was there where I realized that that, uh, that it was there was something bigger than just my own religious denomination, mm-hmm. and I think that was very valuable for me as I when I would come back. Right. And speaking of coming back, as when it it seems that when you Left Vietnam, it was a a, a bittersweet experience. Um, why was that? What, what, what's 
you know, it seems like you you were leaving a you almost felt maybe you were leaving a part of you in in Vietnam, or there's, you know, there are things there, relationships you had there that that you were sad to, right, have to leave. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, because you'd think initially that the reaction would be right, the war's over, and and you know, as a soldier, you'd be excited, you get to return home, and you're out of you know harm's way, um, perhaps. But um, it seemed a little bittersweet in in reading those chapters. Could you talk about that? Well, one of it was that. I had been able to practice a sense of community because I, I've always been, wherever I go, people see it. Sometimes even my, my colleagues here sort of, sort of get, get annoyed because I'm, I'm so much into this sort of community and doing things with each other and camaraderie, and I, I'm very much about that. In war, sometimes, if you're in the right unit, will will create the sense of camaraderie. Um, I was useful. You know, I was coming out of high school and not going to college. You know, I, I had these uh, these sort of Western ideals of, of accomplishing, of succeeding, of doing something with my life that, that were still part of me. And and here I was. So I was leading man. I was uh, I was being challenged as to whether I could deal with uh, life or death situations, which something that I I didn't have back in the barrio. Uh, I was having you know uh, white uh, white men follow me. You know where. Always was the the difference in the audio. You know, you're always following some white person, uh, and so I think that that was part of it. Uh, the other one was that uh, I found a lot of things about myself. Uh, you know, I, I saw myself grew, and it was there that I decided that I wanted to write for a living because I was always afraid that I was a terrible writer, mm-hmm. I had terrible grammar and syntax when I left high school, and and so I, I really sat there. You know what? I'm going to write. Now I might have not written any better, but I was already, uh, you know, I was already had already decided. And then, of course, I had found someone I was in love, and, and, and understanding. And the beauty of that, which I have been blessed with, is that I it was one of the the first women that I would meet in my life who were bright, intelligent, courageous, and strong. And, and so, meeting that person and seeing such tremendous strength. Um, it was something that was just like, you know, it was, it was amazing to me. And so I was leaving, you know, at the time, the love of my life, uh, because we were, because of this, again, the Mormon thing. I was going to come back, I was going to serve a mission, and then come back, which in many ways was a very silly thing, because it was two years, uh, you know, that I was going to leave this woman that I, that I thought would be my wife forever. Uh, but, but again, I had this sort of, Mormon struggle that I that I wanted to fulfill my role as a as a Mormon young man, and so all of these things. Uh, plus, there's a certain there's a certain uh, attractiveness of war. You know, Robert E. Lee talks about that if war wasn't that horrible, it would be too attractive mm-hmm. uh, because of some of the things I described, and so. Uh, so all of that was, was sort of, and then I was coming back and I thought to myself, okay, where am I come back to? Mm-hmm. I have no college degree. I have no big job. I'm going back to the audio. I'm starting back from, I'm going back to step one. Right. right. Uh, at, at the moment, all of these things were, 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 you know, were, were coming to mind. I, I would appreciate that later. And, you know, but at the moment, I felt like, okay, I'm being thrust back into the audio with all the context frameworks and dynamics there uh, of my relationship to the uh, to the bigger world. While I was in the world and succeeding, I was there. 
goes back to Texas, particularly Texas, San Antonio, I was, I'm going to be a, just another uh, person, uh, another Mexican in the barrio. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, when it, it, it was, I mean, it was a lot of misguided thoughts, but those were very real to me. Right. Right, and and so you came home. So you did. You came home, and you um, returned to the barrio in San Antonio. And uh, there, surprisingly, even though you had you know other plans of, as you mentioned, serving Mormon mission and and, and marrying, um, you know the love you, the love you had left behind in Vietnam, you actually ended up um, meeting and courting and marrying your. Who, who actually became your wife, Alejandra, and then decided to you know pursue your college education, which you did you, you did at Texas A and I University in Kingsville. So you make this move to Kingsville, which is still in Texas, but although this is a, a very different type of Texas, right? This is a, this is an, another Texas that you had you had very little preparation for. Uh, so could you talk about Kingsville as this you know kind of uh, this third site and you know place, real place of significance, where you are becoming and developing the person you are, b- both religiously and ethnically, and and the challenges that you uh, faced being a Chicano Mormon in Kingsville. Well, you know, I, I came to Kingsville, and, and of course, I had been accepted to the University of America's writing program, and to me, that was the perfect one. And then my wife. Uh, said, you know, we're pregnant or I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And what is really interesting, and I mentioned in my memoir, even though we have been so incredibly adventurous uh, in our life, this was the first time that we decided to be, play it very conservatively. Right. And so right. I, I accepted Texas A and I went to Kingsville, Texas, a rural community, and you know, I got exposed to South Texas, which was as different from uh, you know, urban uh, Texas or, or San Antonio. And uh, it, it was a, 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 a tremendous experience. Uh, there, you know, three reasons. One was, this was my first uh, experience when I went to Kingsville and went to a, a, a church that was sort of integrated, mm-hmm. where I ended up being in conflict directly and strongly with some of my white brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. where I was, I was looked upon by conservative leadership, except for my patient, who was actually quite liberal, but everyone else in, in the higher structures has been some student radical because I, I became active in the Chicano movement. And so it was the first time that I confronted that institutionally. Other times there had been, you know, thoughts, ideas, you know, I, I knew it was there, but it was there in Kingsville where, again, I had to question my faith and wonder, do I believe in this enough to put up with, with this kind of challenge? But it also taught me, uh, and I didn't appreciate it fully until I left, that I had to be more open about who I congregated with, you know, and, and that mm-hmm. people of faith uh, don't all necessarily think alike, and people mm-hmm. of faith can also be nasty sometimes. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and we can hurt each other. And, and of course, I was naive. I had this notion that, that all good religious people or hear the mass message of compassion and right. horizon, whatever, and jump right. into it and say, hurrah, hurrah, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I learned that there were great people. They happened to be very conservative uh, uh, politically, a very divided community. And so 
it, it was it was a real challenge to my again core values. What do you believe in? How much are you willing to abide by them despite uh, the tensions? The other thing is that Kingsville was fantastic because the Chicano movement was was in its heyday in Kingsville, mm-hmm. and much of what I was introduced to them, the Chicano scholars, particularly people like Octavio Romano, uh, as we were reading his material who was one of the Chicano intellectuals, one of the precursors intellectually of the movement, allowed me to look at my own life experience and make sense of it. Mm-hmm. I knew there was discrimination. I knew that we were struggling. I knew there were things. But he helped me understand, through, through reading his material, what it all meant. And in a funny way, because he was so such a strong advocate of, uh, one's identity and culture, that it made me reaffirmed both my Chicano and my Chicano Mormon uh, uh, culture, and, and 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 got me. And so while I was estranged to a certain extent from the local congregation, in fact, was sort of not active for a whole year, um, it replaced some of that. So as I talk in my memoir, you know the. The, the political meetings at night sort of replaced the, the, the firesides I used to go in church. Mm-hmm. The hospital lighting for the, for the La Razonida party sort of uh, made up for the lack of missionary proselyting that I could have been doing or home teaching or that kind of stuff. Right. And, but in the process, you know, sometimes we talk about how our identity is maintained not only by what we do, but how people react to us. Right, right. And so, so I, my Mormonism was against, again, being called uh, into question, and whether I could be a good Chicano activist as a Mormon. Mm-hmm. And so I set out to prove that I did, and in doing so, went back and reaffirmed that, yes, these things I do and these things I don't do. Um, and, and so... Uh, forced me again to look at what I wanted to believe, how I wanted to be, what kind of person I wanted to be. And so uh, I got to know many of the leaders in the Chicano movement, both in the local and, and sort of national level, um, and and got to uh, understand that whenever we, are, we, we learn something or are confronted by something, we pick and choose. Now, that, mm-hmm. that's not always good for, for the political party or for the ideologues, but, but that's what most of us do. Mm-hmm. And, and so confronting with the two challenges again in, in such a way uh, made me begin to choose that which I loved about my Chicanismo and, and that which I loved about my Mormonismo, and, and then which I didn't. Uh, and defined in a way that earlier experience had not uh, to becoming was, you know, the, the sense of service, the sense of commitment, uh, these things that I evolved, because I had to live them uh, both in conjunction with some activists and also uh, against the grain. You know, I remember one time when we were campaigning and the fellow that I, that I was with, we were driving, and he would stop and tear down signs from the opposition. I would say, that's not who I want to be. Right. I, I believe in what I'm promoting. But I have to sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I have to sell it uh, on its own uh, merit. 
And there were, so there were things uh, about what helped me. Again, that Mormon discipline. I stayed up at 3 in the morning putting out the underground paper while people stayed. I, uh, I, I didn't wither under a fire. Uh, I read what I was supposed to do. I accomplished my tasks. I, you know, all of these things came out of that sort of barrio Mormonism that I had developed. Mm-hmm. And it made me, I think, a good activist. It also got me in trouble later on uh, when some people turned against me. Uh, and part of it was I was also a faithful adherent of the Rosania Party at the time and the Chicano movement. And... Uh, uh, so, so I, you know, and then of course, Kingsville was a small university. It was not particularly hard, and so it gave me a time to, uh, you know, to do a lot of things, uh, and um, you know, solidified my relationship with my wife, who was mm-hmm. who was there, uh, and you know, and as I mentioned, she had been an old union activist. You wouldn't imagine seeing her, small, petite little woman, but she had some great insights. We used to share that. We would sit there to the middle of the night talking about the kind of uh, people we wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 of course, again, avoiding all those uh, self-destructive uh, sort of behaviors that one can learn in college. Uh, and, and, and that helped me. I mean, I, I made a lot of mistakes. I, I learned a lot about commitment and leadership people there that I never thought I would. And again, uh, another dose of don't be a critic, don't be judgmental. People are people. You can love them. And and that was a place where I had people who I thought truly uh, loved me as a person. And, um, and yet they didn't have my, you know, my own religious values. And I came to appreciate quite a bit. Um, and uh, so Kingsville was a great place, and knowing Tejanos from South Texas was a, a real eye-opening experience. Right. Uh, you know, they were much more firm of who they believed there, and in fighting back. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was that was amazing uh, to me. You know, so it, uh, and, and you know, and, and I think that's where I learned that I wanted to be a historian, but I. I I took the yeah, I took the you know a journalism degree, and I really wanted to do theater, but I didn't get accepted to graduate school, and so my dreams of, of again producing Chicano plays in Broadway was sort of went down the drain. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes accomplishing dreams and and not accomplishing other ones can teach us a lot about about our our you know our reality in this world. Certainly, certainly. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And uh, I appreciate you so much sharing um, about your time in, in Kingsville. We're running uh, short on time, but I had uh, two more uh, questions before we, we, uh, we wrap up. Uh, one of them uh, has to do, you mentioned this a few times uh, throughout the book, that uh, um, Mormon leaders tend to teach their, their membership um, that they are to live in the world but not be of the world. Uh, can you... Talk about how you've interpreted this admonition throughout your life, and and again, you've you've mentioned in some ways how this has affected your activism and scholarship. But can you can you address how you've interpreted this personally and tried to instill it? Well, I think uh, being in the world and not of it meant 
means for me to be a participant, to care about those around me, to care about what things are happening, to engage uh, in the world, uh, and, and sometimes engaging in the world is, is, is getting your hands dirty. It's messy. It's complicated. It's contradictory. But uh, the notion to me is that by living in the world, by being with others, you learn from them, and you learn to be compassionate about right. people mm-hmm. and not to be so judgmental and to realize that sometimes people do the best they can and still things don't go, don't go well. But to not be of the world is a part where I, I, it helped me uh, to, to keep, I, keep from being sucked in to sometimes what I think are, are secular ideas uh, whether it's frustration, anger, um, whether it's a misguided reaction, because I think that if, if you're a person, at least for me as a religious uh, Mormon, is that I have to look at those things that I consider eternal characteristics and values. That's something that my, that, that my maker wanted me. And so at the moments when I was either in La Unida or where I was in the Army, and when I was trying to solve problems and making decisions, I always uh, uh, try to ask myself, uh, is this an eternal perspective? Is, is this a perspective that transcends the temptation to, to, to make a decision or, or to take an action that in itself does not transcend where you're at? Now, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to do that to be in the world, of course. But, but it was always the idea that I was not excused from being part of my community, part of my world, that I had to live in it. Uh, but it was also not an excuse to say, well, I'm so angry that this is what I do, or I'm so um, uh, overwhelmed by materialism or, or success that I'm going to follow this, this route. So it, it is meant to be, uh, to be tense, to be complicated, and to navigate. So I am in the world. I, I do things because they are the, the reality of my life. But, right. I, but, I, but I have to transcend them in the way I live my life and in the way that I think and in the solutions that I, uh, that I find. And, and that was, to me, when you try to live that, you want to refine yourself at least to the capacity you can, right? And not everybody's religious, so they may not understand it. But I, I would put in the context that if someone that has great ideals and then faces normal problems, is that person, by being in the world and not being of it, means that they will be firm to their ideals, at the same time engage in the messiness of life. Right, and sometimes exactly. Mm-hmm. That just your moral concepts, and it should. And sometimes you come out of it. My, my, my view is that uh, if there is a heaven, which I hope there is, Otherwise, I spend a lot of time preparing for it. But if there is, then I'm going to be battered and you know, scarred when I get there. I'm not going to be nice and clean and, and, uh, and well-pressed. Uh, that's my view right. of the eternal kind of, of life. And so that's how I try to deal with that. Great. That's, uh, I think you put it very uh, succinctly and, and at the same time eloquently, you know, um, particularly in, as, uh, you know, you mentioned to those that may be not religious, it's it's about of maintaining 
you know, some type of character and in, in, in moral or ethics, whatever it is, and and having that be your constant and, and drive you, where you continue to engage with those around you and build relationships and, as you mentioned frequently, build communities and uh, rather as opposed because, you know, the, the other, you know, the, the other side to that is, well, you isolate yourself from the world, right? And some do interpret, some religious uh, people do interpret, you know, that admonition to be isolationists, if you will, kind of uh, gather the, ra- the wagons around themselves or maybe they're, uh, you know, their particular family uh, and, and kind of think, well, we're going to kind of keep ourselves strong and, and let the world go the way it is. But really that admonition is quite the reverse, right? It's to engage right. with, okay. with the outside and to both hopefully have some, you know, be influenced and influence, you know, both influence others and have them influence you, you know, um, with the good that you have and the good that they have. So thanks so much for summing that up for us and, and sharing that. Uh, lastly, before we wrapped up, I just wanted you to, I wanted to ask you actually what it is that you're, you're working on now. You completed this memoir. You've written, I think, um, you know, seven, I think it is seven, if I have the count right, you know, scholarly works of, uh, historical works and monographs. Uh, so what's your, your next project? Well, I'm, I'm doing two things. One is I'm, I'm going back and I'm reworking my first book and going from a history of La Raza Unida Party, which, which sort of transcends. It's a work that, that attempted to say a lot about the Chicano movement to actually coming back and writing. And I always thought this for years, that I would come back and write my definitive, not the definitive work, but my definitive work on the Chicano movement, mm-hmm. taking the, a lot of new scholarship and, and having the time years later to go back and to look at that period of time and, and to give it a sense of... Of, uh, uh, of depth and, 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 and also to be able to explain it to a whole new generation of uh, Chicanos and even Latinos uh, about what, what that era was and how it was a part of this continuity of struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, do. and then, so that's, that's going to be, I think, the, the, the final uh, scholarly work uh, that I do. At the moment, however, I am finishing off... Uh, I was asked if I would be willing to do a a screenplay of my last book, when Chicanos could play ball, and it has been fascinating because yeah. I always believe that you got to step out of your box periodically to do something, mm-hmm. uh, and you appreciate those who actually do it all the time. Plus, it it, it makes your mind grow, grow, and so I'm having a lot of fun. Wow! Uh, I hope my department chair doesn't hear this. <laughs> Just kidding. But but I'm having a lot of fun because what it is is I'm learning a new genre and, and, and appreciating the fact that in film you try to tell the same message but in a different way and sometimes with different characters. So it's been very interesting because as a historian, I always hate these adaptations. I'm, I'm the first one to point out that's not historically right. correct. <laughs> And People hate watching movies and plays with historians, you know, because of that. Right? <laughs> it's been interesting. It's been interesting, and it's kind of uh, some, uh, and maybe it's my uh, my way to come back and, and spite uh, those uh, uh, people that made a decision not to uh, accept me into a theater program. You know, right, maybe right. it's this sort of hidden thought that I would get back and prove to them that I can write. So right. it's, it's been fun during the summer. I've been doing research for the other, but spending some mornings 
uh, doing that. And, and I, I do plan to follow up with some other works, but I think the, the, the biggest scholarly work is going to be to revisit and bring in all the new material and re-interview some people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 30 years later and, and how they feel. And so my original work was United We Win. Right. This one, tentatively, it may not stay there, is United We Won. And mm. to talk about it, I think there's this sense that the movement failed, right. and there's a lot of uh, very pessimistic, and of course things have not totally changed, and the thing, of course some things have gotten worse. But if we don't appreciate our struggles, uh, then we, we end up reinventing things. And so my right. thought is to a new generation to say, yes, things are bad. And yes, you should struggle, but look at this and appreciate that and then go on and do your struggle. Uh, and so that's that's my work. And, and, and hopefully in some ways, I also bring the story of people of faith within the Chicano movement and how critical they were and to understand their faith, not just the political way, but also in terms of how it, it was transcending, uh, you know, but, but they were living in the world. Uh, well, not being of it. Right. And so that, that's part of this grandiose dream to, to sort of my, my last work. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing uh, information on those two projects. Both of them sound fascinating. And again, thank you for coming on to New Books in Latino Studies and sharing your time with us and talking about your memoir, Chicano While Mormon. I encourage our listeners to go out and get the book and read it or encourage your libraries to stock it and and uh, you know, share it with others. So, Ignacio, thanks again for your time. Thank you very much, David. Thanks for tuning in to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel, and I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Ignacio M. Garcia, author of the new memoir, Chicano While Mormon, Activism, War, and Keeping the Faith, published by Fairleigh Dickinson University Press in 2015. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, you may do so by following our link to Amazon on the page. Also, if you'd like to reach us, you can send us an email to newbooksinlatinostudies at gmail.com or connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you.